Welcome to the International Code Council Region 1 and Region 1 Radio Show. My name is Tim Spears. I'm the host of Region 1 Radio. Region 1 was established in 2014 and we're made up of three states, California, Nevada, and Hawaii. That also includes many ICC chapters. We are dedicated to excellence in education and engagement to promote a safer environment by bringing individuals together. This podcast series was designed to highlight code officials and code professionals and share their stories with you, along with the many members of our chapters. If you enjoy our show, make sure to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our YouTube channel. In this episode, I spoke with Chris Alvera, Supervisor of the Outreach and Education Unit in the Building Standards Office of the California Energy Commission. In this episode, we discussed his background, educational opportunities and resources the California Energy Commission provides to code officials, emergency preparedness relating to energy disruptions, energy sustainability, and increasing resiliency of the built environment along with many more topics. Links to the items that we discussed can be found in our show notes. Chris, welcome to ICC Region 1 Radio. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Tim. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, I think that this is going to be a good conversation. We're just actually going through, or we just recently went through uh, the code updates uh, here, the triannual code update cycle or triannual cycle here in California. And so I think it's always good to, you know, we talk about building and fire, but you happen to be uh, on the energy side of things. And so I think that as we talk about uh, energy here in California, that's probably a, a very big topic that I'm sure many of us are going to be uh, interested to hear about the different things that you're doing in 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 your area and 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 how you know kind of helps code professionals throughout the state so um but yeah so we're excited to have you on i think that this will be a good a good opportunity not only are we in just recently passed the triannual code adoption cycle but as i talked to my state fire marshal friends they're already in the intervening code cycle and mm -hmm. already starting work there so uh work never ends right Yes, it's a, a revolving door for, for building code <laughs> overall. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> well, hey, uh, if we could start first with your background, if you could share with us your background um, and tell us a little bit about your role as the supervisor of the Outreach and Education Unit in the Building Standards Office of the uh, California Energy Commission. Yeah. So, yeah. Hello, yeah. My, my name is Christopher Olvera, and um, my background, yeah, it's a, it may seem a little awkward, but I, I think it ties in. Um, I'm actually a, a criminal justice major with a minor in psychology. I graduated from uh, Sac State, go Stingers. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I uh, actually worked on the Energy Standards Hotline during uh, my college, you know, during your career there, I should say. Um, and yeah, I guess I, I picked up a knack for, for building code. It's, a, it's not penal code or, you know, mm -hmm. criminal code like I uh, studied in, in college, but it still is code. It's law. And so, uh, yeah, I guess I picked up a knack for it, and I, I've been here ever since. I actually did pursue a career in a criminal justice for a while. actual correctional facility, a juvenile facility there off of Bradshaw in Sacramento uh, for a while, but it came back, in, and I've been here ever since. I'm very fortunate. Uh, started as an energy analyst and, and worked my way up to where I am now, which is, yeah, currently I'm the supervisor of the uh, Outreach and Education Unit, the O&E Unit, in the building standards office in the efficiency division and i currently oversee five permanent staff we have mm -hmm. a mix of scientists and engineers 
I also oversee five college students who, who work on our energy standards hotline. And uh, our role is to provide uh, outreach education to stakeholders on the California Energy Code, Title 24, Part 6 requirements uh, to stakeholders uh, statewide, Californians, and also even uh, outside the state, we have people contacting us. So when you say uh, provide uh, education or insight uh, and help to stakeholders, does that also mean code professionals? Uh, let's say, you know, a building code professional or a building inspector or a fire code professional that may have questions on the energy code? And absolutely. I would probably say that they, without a doubt, I've been I've been doing this for close as both when I started as a student and permanent now for almost uh, two decades now. I, I have the gray hairs. If, you, if you're listening <laughs> to me, you, you just believe me. You can't see it, but you can. They're there. Um, so I've been doing this almost two decades. And I would say that um, without a doubt yet, yeah, um, energy or not energy uh, enforcement agencies are our number one customers. Um, so, yeah, we're constantly working with Cabo. ICC chapters, um, code officials statewide. And I think that not only is it because they, they care about their jobs and what they do, but I think also a, a big incentive is their, our motivation is their ICC certs and continuing education units. So we're constantly mm -hmm. involved with them in that capacity. Um, so absolutely, yeah, code enforcement and, and enforcement agencies, AHJs, uh, are our number one customers, I would argue, yeah, without a doubt. Okay. And you mentioned Calbo and, and we just talked to Matt Wheeler not that long ago, actually mm -hmm. a couple episodes ago, he was on our podcast um, mm -hmm. and sharing a little bit of insight there. So um, now I would imagine as part of the outreach and education unit, you work to educate code professionals, right? You, you host mm -hmm. classes or maybe work with other stakeholders or other uh, organizations. Um, but what do you, what type of work do you do to educate building and fire code professionals and stakeholders across the state, right? The state of California is a big mm -hmm. state. You mentioned you have a multitude of others that were are within your um, within your kind of shop area, and but what's uh, are some of the programs that you offer code professionals uh, f through public education or um, educating like maybe you know private organizations like Calbo or or those sorts of things? Yeah, no. So um, our unit um, outreaches and educates um, code officials in a variety of ways. We uh, develop fact sheets and guides and other educational materials that we publish on our online resource center. Okay. Uh, we also <clears throat> develop and provide trainings at ONE events like CABO, the ICC chapters, organizations like AIA, et cetera. We also uh, exhibit at ONE events and distribute educational materials there, you know, interact in person and, and respond to technical inquiries. Uh, we also regularly attend the ICC chapter meetings and provide okay. agency updates there. Um, we are also publishing our blueprint newsletter quarterly, which contains articles and frequently asked questions that we receive on our hotline or when we're in person or providing these trainings at the events, um, we incorporate those into the blueprint. Um, we also have our hotline, uh, the college students um, that function Monday through Friday, 8 to 4.30. Anyone who asks questions and particularly code officials uh, they can reach out to them and they can assist them with their technical inquiries. And then also we coordinate and work with the utilities and also the regional energy networks, the RENs, and provide technical assistance for them for their ONE efforts as well as they provide mm -hmm. trainings and materials uh, for code officials statewide. 
Now, um, one of the things I do want to kind of highlight is you, you mentioned college students, having college students, and you yourself, you were one of those college students that, uh, you know, participated in the hotline. And, you know, one of the areas that, you know, I would say we're an aging profession. You mentioned having gray hair. I have no hair. So if you're not, if you're, if you're listening and not watching, um, I, most of my hair is gone. Now, part of it's by choice and part of it's just genetics. Um, but, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, trying to get the next generation involved and and you know, trying to recruit um, you know new new members into our into our field. And you mentioned you kind of took a non traditional path. I took a non traditional path. I actually began in healthcare and then kind of worked my way through things. Um, and here I am today. I don't know how I got here. You know, almost twenty years ago or twenty five years ago. But um, but you kind of do over time make the, that progression. So um, how do how can college students get involved and in, in, you know really work on that hotline that you're mentioning? Um, you know what does it take? You know what additional education do they need to be um, you know members of that hotline? Yeah, so we um, we actually just hired uh, three new uh, students, and um, it's through uh, UEI, the University Enterprises uh, with Sac State, and so. The requirements are um, is if you're going to college, you have taken so many semester um, or quarter units and you maintain a certain GPA, uh, you, in essence, you, you qualify. Um, it, it's ideal to have engineers, but it, it's not necessary. Mm. Like for me, example, I was an engineer. I was a criminal justice major, minor in psychology, um, and here I am. So it's uh, <laughs> I, I would argue... I would argue overall, like you said, Tim, that traditional to have an engineer probably step into this role, but it's not necessary. There's many people um, in this field who I work with who are music majors when they started oh. out. Um, so it's yeah, it, it, it takes all kinds, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, music majors. So are you trying to recruit them maybe into in, into this profession? Uh, I'm sure that that would be a kind of a, a, a transition they may not necessarily be thinking of, but uh, yeah, maybe hopefully it, they can, they could. So, yeah, yeah, you know, it, I mean, it's, in essence, anyone is welcome. What we usually look for when we're hiring the hotline students is someone that can make a commitment, like maybe they're early mm. on in their college career, they're a freshman, sophomore, they still have a year or two to go so that we can have, because as you know, Tim, it takes time to educate um, yeah. an individual on the codes and, and we're just focused on the energy code. So to help uh, train them, get them, prepare them to, to respond to technical inquiries via the phone or, or mm -hmm. email, it, it takes time. So we have an investment, so we'd like to get a return. So yeah, any, any major, um, again, it is good to have those majors to where uh, long-term when they do graduate, they, are they a major that may qualify, you know, to come on with the state permanent or somewhere else as an energy analyst or a mechanical or an electrical or civil engineer? Um, so, again, yeah, having those bridges and those pathways are ideal, but they're, they're traditional, but they're, they're not always necessary. Uh, okay. So it, you, you do try to find that bridge, right? Once you're on the hotline, maybe, <laughs> maybe we can then help move them to maybe that next step or that next phase yeah. in that, in their career. And, and I would say that, you know, obviously selfishly, um, if we could get them to maybe consider a, a, a be maybe a fire inspector or a, a building mm -hmm. inspector or a building official. I mean, we're, we're definitely struggling for new people to come into our ranks. And so I think that that, that's mm -hmm. always a good thing. So, <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know this is definitely, I mean, this is, um, this isn't a new issue, right? This has been mm -hmm. ongoing. I know, uh, 
when the recession recession hit in 0708 um that was a big concern in particular where you have a lot of experienced individuals end up retiring because they would make yeah. more money that way and then finding the new blood quote unquote um see so i've worked with many individuals um and code officials um who have taught at the universities and the community colleges to try to yeah, increase awareness and, and the need for this. We need educated code officials and even also many of the builders working at the high school level as well. We've given mm. a couple of presentations. I think, um, was it Valera? Um, I can't remember the, the name, um, but they were working with the high schoolers and they were allowing okay. them during the summer session to go out there, put up drywall, work in the attic and deal with some duct work. And so we were educating them on the energy code requirements. So, so yeah, oh. no, the, I, I hear you loud and clear. There, there's definitely yeah. a need for code officials. And so, yeah, the earlier we can start, the better. Um, my my yeah. nephews are totally into Minecraft and building stuff. So I don't know if he's going to become an architect and maybe do some <laughs> field inspections in, in the future. But he definitely has that mindset. And so, yeah, nurturing yeah. them for, from early on. Well, I, I keep trying to recruit my son, and he is—he's nineteen, and he has absolutely no desire. Um, but you know, who knows? Maybe in the future. Now, you mentioned starting in criminal justice, having a criminal justice degree. So, what drew you to maybe? I mean, it is kind of a regulatory field, right? Um, mm -hmm. Understanding regulation and 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 that sort of stuff. But what drew you mm -hmm. to um, you know more or less of the uh, like you mentioned the penal code and um, the law enforcement side of things and more into regulation and the energy code. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you, you know, it's, it's a funny story. So um, I, how I got to, to the hotline was actually I was um, at a temp agency and, uh, and um, my mom had actually, it's funny because it's, it's almost like this is my destiny. My mom was actually working at the Energy Commission when she was pregnant with me. And oh. so I, I was literally there from day one. And then um, I was at a temp agency. I needed to get a new job. And my mom was working for the state and said, hey, there's these opportunities. You should apply. Um, so I did. I, I came on. And I, as I worked on the hotline um, and then you got on full time, yeah, I've, I've been very fortunate. I, I love working um, for this agency. I love dealing with the energy code and the building code and definitely with, with code officials. Um, mm -hmm. For me, yeah, it's, it's it's constantly evolving. Um, I, I'm a nerd. I like to learn new things, and I'm constantly being pushed to to evolve and, and to to learn new technologies, learn new processes, mm. um, and, and also and learn new people and how to communicate with them in, in various um, you know occupations and, and positions. And so that's what really drew me to to the energy code and just building code in general is that it's constantly evolving. It's requiring me to constantly learn new things. And, and evolve, yeah, how I think and, and how I interact with individuals uh, of different backgrounds um, and, and occupations. So that that's what really drew me to it. It's it's constantly requiring me to be a better me and, and a better person and and learn mm -hmm. new things. And so um, that's what I like the most about. I always tell people when they say that like it's never the same thing every day. You could get same ask yeah. the same question, but it could be just a little different. So it's not exactly the same. It's not monotonous. You're always having to learn something new. And I really, I really enjoy and appreciate that, that part of the job. Well, yeah, I think you highlight, you know, and that's something that a lot of people don't understand is no two days are the same. 
Uh, and the more that we're around people, because um, I, I actually that's this type of stuff that, you know, in talking with you and talking with others as part of this podcast, actually, this, these are the highlights for me um, because I, I learned so much new stuff. And that's actually how this podcast started um, was I get to talk to pe- unique people that are, you know, good people in the profession doing good things um, and being able to share their stories. And this is why we do what we do. And and I think that, you know, being able to highlight, you know, the important work that you do, um, along with others is always a good thing, uh, to be able to share with folks. So, um, but like I said, it was kind of selfish on my part. That's why I started it because I wanted to start talking to more people and learning more things. So <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great way, not only to meet new people, but, uh, learn new things and help us uh, educate each other. And that's what we're yes. here for. Yes, absolutely. Educating. And that's, I think all of us, right? That's, you know, we really try to strive and focus on the education piece. And I think that we really work hard for that. So, um, you know, speaking of education, um, one of the things here, you know, that we experience, we experience a lot of man or not man-made disasters. I was going to say natural disasters. I mean, you've got your, uh, you know, fires, you know, being in California, we have a lot of wildland fires. We have earthquakes and, and that also, you know, uh, Maybe uh, we'll maybe take or look at some supply or energy, you know, issues, right? Um, and maybe some disruptions. Um, how does the Energy Commission help code professionals in the response to some of those natural disasters um, as we encounter them throughout the state? Yeah, uh, specifically for the division um, and um, the way I like to look at it is that we're we're very proactive, right, with uh, building energy efficiency. Um, we're reducing the demand on the grid so that, you know, it can, the supply can be met, right? And so just mm-hmm. be proactive from that perspective. Uh, but one example that does come to mind for the agency as a whole is uh, in regards specifically for supply issues was last summer. Um, you know, this year we're having very cold weather and, yeah. um, you know, yep. so far beginning of the year. And then last year it was very warm. And I, I think we broke the record, at least here in Sacramento, uh, where we're located, um, for, you know, days over 100 degrees, I want to say, was it like 42? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, but I believe we, we broke a record. Yeah, there was a, the real potential for rolling blackouts, um, in particular as the demand for air conditioning increased. So our agency w- was in communication and coordinating with CalISO, the independent system operator. And, um, you know, we assisted with communications and messaging to the public about supply probably not going to be able to meet the demand and the need for for homeowners and building owners, et cetera, uh, to mm-hmm. reduce their electrical usages, in particular during peak hours. And I don't know if you remember saying, you know, at first it was like, okay, you know, the five to eight and then, okay, from yeah. four, okay, now to nine and then even 10 o'clock, it, it kept expanding. Yeah. And so um, we, we were involved uh, with those efforts. Um, there was articles, um, it was in the news, there was commercials. And I remember even one day there was text messages and, you know, kudos to, to all Californians because they were responsive. The messaging went out. They said, hey, you know, if you guys can help out, we need your help. You need to reduce your electrical usage and appliance usage during mm-hmm. these hours. And um, they were responsive. And we avoided major blackouts and kept the lights on, uh, so to speak. So um, mm-hmm. that's one example that stands out to me. But with that said, yeah, I just I want to give a shout out to all of the emergency staff and agencies, mm-hmm. including OES, fire, enforcement yep. agencies and the volunteers um, who respond without hesitation to assist those in need during the recent yep. floods, the fires we've had in California, yeah. the earthquakes, et cetera. We, we thank you and we appreciate you folks. 
Yeah, I, you know, California is a very diverse and dynamic state as, as we talk about weather, right? Um, you mentioned having, the, you know, all the hot weather that we did over the summer. And then this this winter, it's actually been fairly cold. Um, we've had a lot of moisture. A lot Actually, I, I want to say that we might even set a record for the most snow that we've gotten um, ever, right? Uh, the snowpack right now is significant. Uh, if, you, if you haven't seen the pictures of Tahoe and the Sierra Nevadas, I uh, highly recommend that you check those out because we've gotten so much snow. Um, it, it is definitely, since I've lived in California, that's the most snow I've seen here. So definitely cut into my hiking, but I'll take it. I'll take the snow. I'll take, I like the wet weather because um, we definitely need it. Um, but I do remember that messaging over the summer and I do remember hearing it. Um, and so I, I know a lot of us do, you know, did and, you know, tried to make sure that we had significant, uh, a significant power source. So that way we could avoid the rolling blackouts in any supply chain. Uh, or supply issues uh, as we move forward. So you mentioned reducing demand. Um, and I know that the, the the energy code does help with that, right? We, we talk about some of the different initiatives, but what are some of those initiatives to help reduce demand that the Energy Commission works on um, you know, with citizens and, and really people across the state? Yeah, so in regards to that, I mean, yeah, there's, there's several outreach programs in, in our media I would argue is more involved with that. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you know, there's, you know, flex your power, flip the switch, mm -hmm. you know, things of that nature. And then also coining with the utilities as well, both uh, IOUs and yeah. POUs. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's I, I would say that um, at least from the efficiency division perspective, we're, we're, we're more focused on, you know, with the buildings. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah. I, I would argue that outreaching to homeowners is a little more difficult because what is the incentive for them, right? And mm -hmm. so um, definitely it's been more difficult to reach out to them, but definitely in the capacity that I'm in and, and moving forward, I want to find ways that we can communicate with them more um, to educate them that, yes, you know, building energy efficiency um, is important. You know, when you're leaving those lights on over in appliances during peak demand, um mm -hmm. during times where yeah the supply may not be able to satisfy it um that that's a real issue right and then right um also just in regards to to building energy efficiency um you know and sustainability uh many aren't aware of you know what they with the older incandescent lights versus the led mm -hmm. lights and how more energy efficient they are and they're supposed to last longer um in building energy efficiency is really hard just in general not just for homeowners uh, you know what's the risk right and so yeah. i mean it, it's very real when it comes to fire when health and mm -hmm. safety and um structure etc that's very real and people can see it but a lot don't see also when it comes to this um, building energy efficiency and demand um where unfortunately during you know when it is warm people unfortunately especially elderly people um have have passed away because they don't have the building energy efficiency and the cooling mm -hmm. that, you know, for the comfort, et cetera, um, people unfortunately um, die as a result. Also, um, when people don't have the heating during the cooling periods and yeah. they're burning candles and the yeah. candles, um, you know, fall, you know, fall and mm -hmm. start a fire. And unfortunately, yep. there's been families um, that have perished, including children, which is very sad. Or when you have um, uh, you lose the power and the heat and you run a generator and you're running yep. it inside the home, exhausting mm -hmm. it and people pass and, and perish because of carbon monoxide poisoning. So that's what, um, I, yeah, it's not directly, but indirectly related to us. And, and definitely the utilities have, have done their outreach. Um, and, and, and I don't know 
what our role could or should be in that, but I'd definitely like to see it increase, and in particular during those times, how to outreach to, to homeowners to educate them about these issues because yeah, I think people don't see the direct health and safety issue as it relates to energy mm -hmm. efficiency. But I think with the example that I just provided, um, it may not be direct, but there is an indirect relationship. And unfortunately, it, it, it is a health and safety issue and people have passed away as a result of it. Well, and I think that you hit about you hit on, and I think even myself included, we miss maybe some of that crossover and connection with the energy code, um, and how important the energy code is to what we do. Um, you, you, like you just said, making sure that we have sustainable energy to be able to provide that climate control um, for all of us in, in in our built environment. And I think that some of us, you know, forget about that. Like you, like you mentioned, having auxiliary heating sources, you know, space heaters. I, I run on, I, I, you know, I've ran on fires with space heaters, um, candles. I've ran on fire with fires with candles, um, and, and those types of things. And you hit on carbon monoxide, the carbon monoxide poisoning with with emergent use of emergency generators, um, and being able to help with that messaging. And I, th I really think it's a shared messaging. I think that we work together, and and I think some of us forget, and maybe forget about that crossover and carry over to the energy code um and i think that that's always going to be important as we as we continue to move forward no i absolutely so. agree yeah it's, it's unfortunate because it, it's an occurrence every time this happens yeah. and i know recently for me um where the, where the example that comes um is with texas when mm -hmm. when they were having the cold weather yeah and, uh, their grid failed on them and they had blackout for weeks and, and unfortunately, again, you had, you had fires from candle burning, carbon monoxide poisoning from generators, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. Th yeah. Things that may seem like common sense to you and I, Tim, you yep. know, I'll use it in quotations, even though we're on radio yeah. right now. Um, yep. but, you know, it, because we deal with it on a daily basis, isn't common knowledge or as common as we'd like it to be. Well, yeah, and I think it's all about perspective, right? As code professionals, mm -hmm. we all have a different perspective than maybe other people. And, and mm -hmm. like I, I know that when I've done inspections, I've gone with people and we'll, I'll point something out and, you know, talk about the hazard associated with it. And they'll say, you know, we've walked past that a thousand times. We never considered that uh, to be a hazard. And, and so it's all about perspective and how can we share that perspective with others and educate them on those items. And, and we go back, like, you know, kind of go back to the, you know, the main topic we had earlier talking about education those are you know some of the big things that we do so um now we talk we talked earlier about education and the the code hotline or the energy hotline um but what other things does the outreach and education unit do to help uh, support code officials um support code officials in the in their work and what resources do you offer for code officials um through the uh, energy commission yeah so as stated earlier, yeah, we develop fact sheets and guides and presentations, videos and blueprint that not only mm -hmm. help to educate what the code requirements are, but then also resources like plans examiners and, and field inspectors and even permit techs. You know, how, mm -hmm. how, how does the energy code relate to what you're doing specifically as, as, you know, a building code official in that capacity as a plans examiner, field inspector um, or the permit tech? And so. All of our resources are posted on our central hub, what we call the Online Resource Center or the ORC. Um, that's at www.energy.ca.gov. And if you go to the Online Resource Center, you can access all of these resources. Um, we're actually digging back a couple of code cycles. You can look at what we developed for 2016, 2019. Um, we have some 2022 resources available. We are still in the process of updating and creating some of those. 
Uh, so what I highly recommend is sign up for our list server um, mm. because if you want to receive yeah, announcements for when new materials are available, uh, that's our main conduit for educating stakeholders or informing them that, hey, we have these new resources available. Um, on the online resource center, we also link to publications and trainings developed and provided by the utilities, Energy Code ACE, uh, BayRen, 3CREN, et cetera. So um, yeah, all of these resources, um, which are meant to, it's really meant to educate stakeholders overall. Anyone who looks at them, you know, should be able to look at them and, and uh, identify what the code requirements are. But definitely we have code enforcement in mind when developing these. And then mm -hmm. there's resources that are specific to code officials, permit techs, plans, examiners, inspectors to assist them in their capacities and what they're doing, what they should be looking for as it relates to the energy code uh, requirements and as it relates to the compliance forms, right? Certificates of compliance for plan mm -hmm. review and certificates of um, inspection, verification, and also the first testing and acceptance testing as well. Now you I, you hit on maybe and I kind of maybe we'll back up a little bit um, partner agencies and maybe some of these utility organizations that you work with to be able to share some additional information um, and you mentioned that they may provide some type of training is that training it's also housed on that website is it like YouTube training is it something that maybe code officials can you know do they have to do they have to log in do they have to pay a fee for it or is it all free. Yes, yeah, so, great question, Tim. So yeah, so uh, for we have some of the videos on our website, but for what the utilities are providing, um, usually it's a link from our website and they'll host it. And so that's uh, okay. Energy Code Ace, BayRan, 3CRAN. Um, this is all supported and funded through utility funding. And so you're, okay. you're, you've already paid for this, quote unquote, which including the work that I do as well. Um, so this is all free of charge, whether it's on our website, whether it's through Energy Code ACE, another utility, 3C REN, Bay REN. It is all available for free, the fact sheets, the guides, the trainings. Um, some of them are on demand, so you can watch them on demand. Some of them do it through YouTube. Sometimes it might be through some other platform. Uh, but yeah, code officials can, uh, if they, you go to our website, you can link directly there. And yeah, you can watch some of these on demand, which I know can be helpful for code officials because it's always about mm -hmm. time, right? Timing. Yeah. Um, yep. it's, it's, it's difficult for code officials um, uh, to sometimes do these during certain time periods. I do know many code officials, um, that I, I, I dare say old, they're old school, which I am yeah. as well. They prefer the in-person. And I think uh -huh. COVID has taught us, regardless of what age you are, whether you're in elementary yeah. school, college, or even an adult, um, the best way to learn is in person. So I know mm -hmm. many of them still want to do this in person. And so, yeah, the many of the utilities are still providing trainings in person. They'll list their upcoming events and trainings. Um, you could also do them virtually or you could do them on demand. All of those are options and they're all always uh, free of charge um, to anyone and, and including code officials. Okay. All right. So that's good. And, you know, because obviously, you know, uh, we all have very finite resources, right? We all have limited training dollars. And so anything that we can find to be able to share, and I know in talking uh, with Mia with the Building Standards Commission, um, they have also have a lot of different trainings that they offer um, uh, you know, through the Building Standards Commission, which is good, or resources, I should say, um, that they offer, you know, especially with, you know, we talked about the triannual code update. Um, there's uh, Stuart Tom and uh, Mia put together a video that was very helpful, I, I, especially for me when I did my first code, uh, code adoption 
options. So those are always good to have. And so being able to have those resources are definitely going to be good for many of us. And so um, being able to share that uh, with everybody. And I'll make sure um, to share all of those links in uh, the show notes. So if anybody has any, um, wants to go and research it, and we'll make sure to link it to this episode. So that way everybody has it uh, and can gain access to it as well. So um, you well, mentioned, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm just going to say real quick. So one thing I would add is that many of those entities are also um, preferred providers to the ICC. So again, I know mm. for code officials and ICC certifications, I think per the ICC, 50% of the CEUs need to come from a preferred provider. So mm -hmm. uh, Energy Code Ace um, and 3C, to my understanding, that they are all preferred providers to the ICC. So again, yeah, they provide all of these trainings free of charge. Um, they count towards CEUs and they're also preferred provider I, uh, CEUs through the ICC as well. So I just wanted to add that. Well, that's fantastic. And I'm glad that you did because uh, being a preferred provider status, especially for those that are seeking, you know, continuing education units for their, um, you know, for their certifications, that's good. Now, ICC Region 1, we cover not only California, but also Nevada and Hawaii. Are those resources, I, I would imagine there's a lot of California specific resources, right? Um, but, you know, some of these other resources that we just talked about linking to um, other providers um, are, are would uh, maybe uh, our listeners throughout the country, um, you know, be, be able to benefit from some of these resources. You know, absolutely. I think so. Um, whenever we're at an event, and in particular those that are, you know, national or international, um, you know, mm -hmm. late last year, I think we were at NASIO or not NASIO. Yeah, I think it was NASIO um, where you have yeah, national and you have individuals and other code enforcers from other states, I mean, even from other countries, Canada, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they do look to the to California uh, as a leader is in regards to the energy efficiency for buildings. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, absolutely. If they're interested in, in what we're doing, they want to know what the code is. Um, we've had delegates from other countries reach out to us and speak to us. And so, yeah, no, these resources, they are, like you said, Tim, they're going to be code specific to Title 24, Part 6, the California Energy Code. Um, but it will educate them on what those code requirements are. And, and again, yeah, it's, it's free to them as well if they want to access it. It's all online. So absolutely, okay. yeah, if, if they're interested um, in what we're doing or just conceptually you know, the requirements, um, I think they will benefit from it. And, and if anything, yeah, it'll teach them probably a little bit more going above and beyond what's maybe required um, in their state potentially, or even in their region. I know Hawaii, I would argue, is kind of on par, if uh, you know, in regards to mm -hmm. energy efficiency. For obvious reasons, they're an island. They're, I think they're right. seen as with PV currently right now. I think we're catching up. Um, so, so, yeah, so for this region, um, even up north as well, um, I would say that, yeah, their climates, um, I, you know, maybe analogous. I, we'll probably have more, but I think they'll probably get more rain, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, no, definitely see them benefiting. And a worst case, quote unquote, scenario is that they, yeah. they learn going above and beyond what may be required for, for their region or their state. Yeah. Well, and, you know, um, you know, I talked to Chief Daniel Berlant with the State Fire Marshal's office, uh, one of our last episodes, and he, he, he mentioned how California a lot of times is, uh, um, you know, people, we're, we definitely are an example. Um, and a lot of times, you know, the codes and standards that we develop here uh, definitely get shared across the country um, because sometimes we are the testing ground or not the testing ground, but the development of some of these codes and standards to be able to help with people uh, or help with some 
of the different needs, like mobile fueling, especially on, it was a California issue, but definitely something that we have shared uh, with others across the country. And so that's one of the things I think, like you just mentioned, being able to go above and beyond uh, is, is a good thing, but you know, it might be something that we see in the base code um, or the model code uh, in the future. Um, and so that way people can you know, start to look at it and, and what may work in California may not work elsewhere across the country. We recognize that no different than what works in the Central Valley where I'm at may not work in the on the coast or in the mountains. That's why we have code adoptions and we take a look at, you know, the model code or the the the, the California edition of the codes. And then we can obviously um, amend it to or uh, to, you know, geographical, topographical and climactic issues that we have locally. So um, we talk a bit about code updates um, and, you know, with, you know, is it, it's part six, right? So that way I don't get it, get it confused, but part six is part of that, you know, title 24. Um, but can you talk a bit about, you know, maybe some of the, the changes that we saw uh, come in this last code cycle and, and maybe not necessarily the, you know, the, the specific code uh, uh, examples, but maybe some of the, uh, um, you know, maybe some of the higher level things that we've seen uh, as we continue to move forward. I think solar or photovoltaic systems are always one of those things that we see uh, in the code. But what are some of those highlights uh, as we went into the 2022 edition of the codes? Yeah. So I just want to, you still hear me, Tim, right? I kind of lost. I can. For a okay, okay, okay. This one, yep. one, yep. this is one of the uh, the cons to remote working, right? Tell her, yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> when the Internet goes out, you're down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, no, definitely. Um, did we we had some um, big significant changes for for 2022? Um, I would say that you know um, years back we with the CPUC we had a strategic plan for ZNE buildings, ZNE energy, and there were some lessons learned, uh, grid harmonization, etc. And so now we transition and focus on decarbonizing buildings. So 2022 mm. Energy Code uh, takes one of those steps to 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 achieving those goals and moving forward. That'll be the focus for now. Um, yeah, we added PV and battery storage requirements for certain non-residential building spaces and high-rise multifamily buildings that are more than three habitable stories. So again, I'll repeat that was PV and battery storage requirements. Um, there, there are several exceptions. The, these are prescriptive requirements. They're not mandatory. Um, with that said, though, the, the baseline for the, the generation and the storage amounts to about, you know, 60, 70 percent of the building annual electrical usage. So if a, an architect or, or builder wanted to um, go the performance approach and try to trade this off, they're probably still gonna need some PV and or battery storage mm. because to completely trade off 60, 70% of your generation and storage is, is gonna probably be a little difficult. So um, mm. the impact this has on on design is that they're gonna have to um, you know, design and size PV and battery storage system meeting the requirements consider the, the spacing, the locations, where are these going to be installed, and particularly for battery storage systems. And then I think this is going to result in an increase in battery storage installations as well. Um, we also have some new requirements for electric ready <clears throat> uh, for single family buildings and multifamily dwellings, where the infrastructure, mm -hmm. wiring, panel, et cetera, will need to meet certain requirements when a gas stove top and or the furnace and or a clothes dryer gas for any of those will be installed and this is a mandatory requirement so um unless they meet an exception um, or if they install electric or heat pump <clears throat> they need to meet these requirements okay um, so yeah the impact this has uh, for for builders is that yeah they need to provide the electrical infrastructure 
if they want to stick with these gas appliances moving forward mm-hmm. so that the transition to an electric or heat pump will be more feasible and cost effective at a later date. Um, okay. <clears throat> also, another significant change are the heat pump baselines for HVAC and water heating, which vary by building type. For single-family buildings, the, the heat pump water heater is going to be the prescriptive baseline uh, for all climate zones. Um, a heat pump HVAC will, or a heat pump HVAC will be the baseline in a few climate zones. For non-residential buildings, uh, heat pump water heaters will be the baseline for some schools. Um, heat pump HVAC will be a prescriptive baseline for certain capacities and types for specific building types. And then for multifamily dwellings, the heat pump HVAC is going to be the baseline for, for most climate zones. So to, to be clear, the, this is not a mandatory requirement. The Energy Commission is not banning gas. Um, mm-hmm. these, are, these are prescriptive requirements that are helping to support the decarbonization or electrification of buildings. Um, mm. And these also only apply to newly constructed buildings. So, okay, yeah, where this has an impact on the builders is that they're going to start transitioning to heat pump water heaters and our HVAC systems when applicable to meet the baselines. Or they have the option of sticking with gas under the performance approach, um, but they are going to take a penalty. Um, we do have a new EDR score, energy design rating, number one. Um, which is source energy, which is going to take into account greenhouse gases. So when you have a heat pump baseline, but you want to install gas, that's going to have a negative impact on on this metric. And so what that means is that if they want to stick with gas and they have heat pump baselines, they're going to have to increase their overall building energy efficiency and for other components to make up that difference. Um, And then we also have energy storage ready requirements for single family buildings. Um, we're not requiring battery storage. We're requiring that they're energy storage ready for the single family in addition to the PV requirements. Um, so this is obviously not all of the changes, but these are some of the significant changes and those mm-hmm. in particular that are uh, conducive or supporting the decarbonization goals uh, that we have for, for buildings. Okay. Well, and it sounds like you, like you just mentioned, you are providing the connection for that transition, but not necessarily a mandate. And there is trade-offs that builders and the building is, you know, you know, contractors, developers can use to be able to still um, move forward with some of these other, um, you know, gas fired appliances and those types of things. And I'll tell you heat pumps. uh, I grew up in the Midwest and heat pumps were definitely something that we use quite a bit. I I know my parents' house has a heat pump um, and is one of those things that we've definitely used. Uh, They've they've had it for decades now. Um, And so, definitely is maybe something that we got maybe elsewhere in the country and now has moved to California. Right. So, you know, we talk about stuff happening in California, transitioning out, and then we get stuff that happens elsewhere in the country and comes in. So, um, Mm -hmm. now, um, you, you use the term climate zones and I'm not familiar with it. And I kind of, you know, I can kind of deduct the, you know, from our conversation, what climate zones are, but can you kind (laughs) of share what, when you talk about climate zones, are are we talking about like different zones throughout the state? Like we got the Sierra Nevada, that's maybe a climate zone. We've got Central Valley. That might be a climate zone and maybe along the coast. Is that kind of how it's broken up? Maybe like seismic zones that we typically see in the in the CBC or the building code? So yeah, so the, the climate zones for the energy code are unique to part six. Um, it's reliant on uh, ASHRAE uh, data. And okay. so yeah, we, we break the state of California down into 16 climate zones. And yeah, okay. you have some that run along the coast, some that are more central. And then as you go up north, um, and then also in the desert area. So essentially, we've broken the state of California up into 16 climate zones that are, you know, similar 
and climatic conditions and and we group them that way and there's definitely physical lines and how they're defined those are all in our climate zone descriptions and so the reason why they're important is because for some of these requirements uh per the war now quest act the legislation that created the energy commission um back in the 70s um the energy code requirements that we propose and adopt need to be cost effective and so what may be cost effective for a more mild cooler climate zone may not be cost effective for a warmer um Mm climate Mm-hmm. Uh, what may be energy efficient for for one building may not be so for the other depending upon its climatic uh, conditions and like you said earlier you know topographical climatic Uh, conditions, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you're going to find that uh, many of the requirements that we have spec
with that said, yeah, the, the Energy Commission is a uh, very uh, large agency, and mm -hmm. um, you know we serve many roles and responsibilities. And so, yeah, there are other programs um, as there's executive orders or assembly bills and Senate bills that that are approved. The Energy Commission is being tasked to, to implement some of these. And so, yeah, um, we already currently have the benchmarking program, which I believe applies to. Uh, larger commercial buildings and multifamily where they have to report their energy usage so that, you know, if there's a new occupant or owner, um, they could identify what is the energy usage of this building and how mm, should you mm -hmm. address that. And then also <clears throat> there's several funding programs that uh, that were available in the past and some that will come up in the future uh, to help, you know, with weatherization or, okay, yeah. um, you know, modifying um, transitioning from, you know, gas to electric, you know, to help satisfy decarbonizing buildings. Um, many utilities already have those programs in place, so definitely, mm -hmm. you know, reach out to them. Uh, but there's funding coming down, you know, from the state and also the federal government um, for the Inflation Reduction Act. So I'd say, yeah, definitely stay tuned. There might be um, more funding and programs that are going to assist with the, the transition, you know, to heat pumps are from gas to electric and switching for cooking, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, the, the, that's for, you know, just for the existing alone. Um, yeah, the agency overall has, um, I should say that they, they are definitely um, focusing and, and I would argue moving forward as we keep continue tightening the screw for newly constructed buildings, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. where do you go from there, right? You get to a point of no yeah. return, right? We've done all we yeah. can. So where do we go from there? I would say definitely the energy code and also the agency, they're going to be more hyper-focused on yeah, the existing buildings and, yeah. and how do you um address those and because because as the newer buildings become more energy efficient yeah what about the your your demand is going to be on that side for the existing mm -hmm, buildings mm -hmm. so um, yep. yes yeah we're going to already focus on that and have several programs focusing on existing buildings and increasing their energy efficiency through assembly bills and senate bills and so yes we will definitely be more hyper focused on them and then also funding and incentives to bring those um, up to code or just not even just up to code to to make them more energy efficient uh, funding okay. might, might be uh, available as well. So so absolutely right. existing buildings um, are, are an important part, if not one of the major parts of the portfolio and focusing on uh, increasing their energy efficiency and reducing their electrical usage. Absolutely. And so there are programs, like you just mentioned, there are programs available. And, and so I would imagine that a lot of that is also going to be on that, uh, on your website for, you know, you know, homeowners or, or even, you know, people within the state of California to be able to take advantage of, be able to, um, find that information and hopefully be able to maybe change or transition to maybe some more energy, uh, efficient appliances. I know, like for myself, we added solar onto our house, um, to be able to help with our electrical usage. Um, you know, our, our electrical bill was quite high uh during the summer months one year and we said enough's enough and so we went with solar and that definitely seemed to help uh us move forward a little bit and be a little bit more energy conscious as well um now we talk uh you know talked about sustainability but resilience i think is another big thing that we need to talk about too and maybe this this actually is my last question for you is the resiliency that we that we face you know california is a diverse climate but we also are impacted by climate change we talked about the hotter summers the colder winters and right now we're impacted by a lot of wet weather and so there's a growing need for buildings not only to sustain the next 10 years but the 50 to 100 years and so I, I think we're, we're working 
through that and trying to help you know identify like you mentioned um the energy some of the changes being you know uh, electrical ready for some of these larger appliances um but can you talk a little bit about how the energy code helps address the impacts of this resiliency and being able to make sure that buildings are going to withstand the effects of climate change as we as we move into the future yeah, no, absolutely. So um, I stated earlier that, yeah, you know, we transitioned to uh, the goals of decarbonizing buildings or electrifying, mm -hmm. as many in the industry refer to it as. And so um, with these 2022 energy code requirements and, and as we move forward with the, the PV, the battery stores, the electric rated, the heat pump, water heating and HVAC baselines like you were just referring to, Tim, um, the result is hopefully you, know, you have a reduction in our carbon footprint and you mm -hmm. know, reducing the production of greenhouse gases uh, from gas burn appliances. And, and the hope there is that you help mitigate some of the effects of climate change by reducing those greenhouse gases. Um, also by increasing building efficiency, um, reducing energy usage, it reduces mm -hmm. the demand on the grid to ensure that you know electricity is supplied uh, consistently and securely. And then also, uh, with both the PV and battery storage installations, specifically for non-residential and multifamily buildings. Um, the result is you know, an increase in site production and storage and use, um, which hopefully results in, in reducing the reliance on the grid, in particular during peak demand time periods. And mm -hmm. so I would argue what, what the long-term goal is, is to maximize building energy efficiency, decarbonize buildings, optimize the on-site PV production, storage, and usage, and reduce the demand on the grid. And hopefully all of those are going to yeah, make the buildings more resilient, and in essence, more self-sufficient as it relates mm -hmm. to building energy efficiency and, and on-site production, storage, and usage, um, and reducing that demand on the grid. Yeah, and you, like you just hit, it, it's a, a multifaceted approach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th those are those are all you know things that I think that more and more of us are looking at. I mean, I even know that I have some energy storage with my solar now. Um, it's a uh, it's a battery that if my power would happen to go out for whatever reason, let's say we have a blackout for whatever reason, um, you know, wildfire, whatever, um, or, you know, we lost power during a storm. Um, at least I have some energy storage. So that way it'll continue to support the essential functions that I need to live um, and be able to continue to maybe uh, address some of those things that we talked about earlier. You know, some of those extra, mm -hmm. you know, the, the clim climactic things within our own homes um, and kind of the creature comfort kind of things. Right. Um, um, and so I think that over time, we're just going to continue to get better um, in, you know, hopefully the homes become more efficient and more resilient and more self-sustaining. I think that that's a lot of what I think you just were mentioning is how do we become more self-sustained as we move forward? So, um, but yeah, I think that those are all great things. And, and I hope that over time, we'll definitely start to see that. So, <laughs> but, Absolutely. And like you said, yeah, with the point. Um, yeah, during, you know, natural disasters or blackouts, you know, assuming your home is still intact, um, but the grid's down, um, yeah. you know, there's no, you know, supply that if, if you have your on-site production and storage, um, like you said, you know, instead of, you know, you may still have to use a generator here and there, but at least with some mm -hmm. production and storage, that can provide some of the necessities and then, you, you know, you can 
um, rotate your usage either to, you know, go along with that or, you know, reduce your, your generation and greenhouse gas burning generator you know, mm-hmm. in essence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, Chris, I, I really appreciate your time. Um, but before we end, is there anything else that you would like to add um, to be able to share with uh, the listeners of our podcast? Yeah, I mean, so I would just like to say, especially for code enforcement, um, we're always, um, you know, seeking your input and, and through the development phase and, and also for uh, updates and improvements and modernization. So the one thing I just want to share is that we have several workshops going on. Um, 2025 okay. is already under development. Um, the utilities are conducting their stakeholder workshops. So um, if you go to, I believe phase two is coming up. So if you go to www.title24stakeholders.com, um, you can, well, all of these are, are are held remotely. They're virtual. So if you want okay. to listen in or watch them afterwards, yeah, they're, they're seeking input now the utilities are seeking the input now for what's being proposed or what improvements to make for 2025 so highly recommend if you have have not gone there especially code enforcement please check out the title24stakeholders.com see what it's about see how you can get involved because when we hear from the building departments understandably with limited resources and you know staffing and time Mm -hmm. um, we usually hear from them after the fact right the codes already in effect they're implementing it and it's too yep. late, quote unquote, at that point, right? You got to wait for next code cycle. Um, so yeah, definitely, please check that out. Also, um, we are in the process of considering yeah updates to the to the HERS requirements, even considering um, moving the Title Twenty requirements for HERS to Title Twenty Four. Um, and so oh, okay. um, yeah, seeking um, input on, on those and, and how to to improve or update the HERS program, and also um, modernizing the energy code in the documents. So we're considering. Uh, maybe consolidating some of the energy code documents. Um, also uh, considering, you know, how those are available digitally, including the forms and how to complete those. And so, yeah, if you go to our website, the energy.ca.gov, and you go to events, you can see when we are conducting these staff workshops as it relates to updates and improvements to the HERS program and also modernization of the energy code in our documents. Um, so again, yeah, if you haven't been to our website, I highly recommend check it out. Check out what events are coming up. Uh, check out uh, the ORC. And then also, yeah, if you go to our subscriptions, I highly recommend you sign up for our building energy efficiency standards uh, list server and our blueprint. If you sign up for those, you will automatically receive updates when these workshops are happening, when the pre-rulemaking will start for 2025, when we have a new blueprint, when we have a new uh, fact sheet, or even when we have a new HERS provider, our new software has been approved. Anything energy code related for part six will be communicated on these listservs. And so um, that's what I would highly recommend is if you go to the website as well, if you sign up for those listservs, you will automatically receive those updates and that will help tie you into everything else that we just discussed earlier. Yeah, so the the probably the takeaway, um, the, if I'm hearing it correctly, is get involved and stay up to date. Um, and the more you get involved, 
the you know the more you can influence change uh you know locally and then also within the state uh as well but then also um you know stay up to date uh s subscribe uh get a hold of this information um you know these resources are available to everyone um and so we'll make sure to include all the links in, a, in like i said earlier in the show notes so that way everybody's got them um they can take a look at them and hopefully um this will maybe motivate some that have uh you know maybe some ideas to to help kind of continue to move us forward uh and uh continue to go uh advance the mission of what we're trying to do here with the sustainability so Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the end goal is to increase compliance and enforcement of the energy code. So like you said, Tim, yeah, you know, make sure that their voice is heard and, and mm -hmm. potentially be able to um, influence meaningful change and, uh, into the code so that we can increase compliance and enforcement. That's the end goal for definitely for us. Uh, but I would argue for the building departments and code efficiency as well and for all parts of Title 24. All right. Well, Chris, I thank you for your time. This has um, been definitely informational for me, being a fire code official. This is definitely one of the things that Energy Code, we don't really talk about a lot. Um, we do, but we don't, right? Um, but there is a lot of crossover that I think that, um, you know, fire code officials, you know, especially myself, you know, people can definitely take advantage of it and learn a little bit. And that's why uh, I'm glad that we had this conversation. So thank you. I want to thank you again for, for this. Uh, um, and then, yeah, if anybody has any questions, and concerns, you know, make sure to leave, leave us a comment. We'll make sure to share those and pass those along. But Chris, again, I want to thank you for being on ICC Region 1 Radio. Yeah, thank you for having me, Tim, and I hope to see everyone out there soon in the field. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.